After studying illustration at Staffordshire University, Michelle Harrison started her career in children's publishing, working as a children's bookseller, and later an assistant editor for a children's book publisher, although she now writes full-time. Her debut novel, The Thirteen Treasures, won the Waterstones Children's Book Prize in 2009 and has been sold for translation in 17 countries. Her novel, The Other Alice, won the Calderdale Book of the Year Award in 2017. Michelle met recently with Nikki Gamble to talk about her latest title, A Pinch of Magic. I wanted to start really by, first of all, welcoming you and asking whether you would just set the book up for us and tell us, uh, for our listeners, a little bit about the story. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on here. Um, So A Pinch of Magic is all about three sisters, the Widdishin sisters, Betty, Fliss and Charlie. Um, and they're a very unlucky family and they find out that they're even unluckier than they thought. Uh, they discover that they're under a family curse so they can't leave the island that they live on. Um, but on Betty's 13th birthday uh, they also get handed down three gifts from their family, uh, from their grandmother, uh, which are magical objects and they use these objects to try and break their curse. It's a very exciting uh, story indeed and as we're talking about the title A Pinch of Magic let's start with magic as our way into this. I think magical stories are can be quite challenging you know when children write about magic magic often just sets everything right for them you know and then that's quite hard with a story isn't it if the magic can just put everything right so what do you have to think about when you're writing a story that has magical elements in it? I think you have to think about the limitations because if if magic can just solve everything, there's no story. So the objects in Pinch of Magic, they can all do certain things. So, for instance, um, there's a bag that will allow you to travel anywhere in the blink of an eye, but it can't do anything else. Um, And there's a mirror, a looking glass, that allows you to see or spy or speak to anyone that you want to to see. So you've, you've got these objects that can do certain things. Um, But again, there are those limitations. And the really fun thing about working with stories that deal with magic is that magic quite often leads to more problems. Um, Mm. And the girls discover this when they start to mess around with the objects and it gets them into quite a few tricky situations. So that's a really fun thing um, about magic. And I remember when I first started to become interested in magic and what it could do, when I was at college, my tutor showed me this picture of uh, fairies from the story Peter Pan in Kensington Gardens and seeing these magical creatures in a realistic, real-world environment made it seem all the more magical. So it's a bit like uh, the children in Narnia in like a big old house and they're not expecting to do anything other than play hide-and-seek and they open something very ordinary and everyday, the wardrobe, and then discover this magical land inside. So for me... Um, magic is most magical when it's in a world that's ordinary and believable, bringing magic into it rather than having everything magical. Mm. That's interesting because I think Alan Garner wrote about that uh, in an essay. He was talking about mandrakes and how they're much more frightening if they're roaming the Cheshire countryside Mm. than if they're in a completely fantastical world. That's that notion of bringing it in. Out of the real world. <laughs> yeah, I think when you see it in, a, in an environment that's familiar to you and you see that element of, oh gosh, that could really happen, that's, that's what makes it scary and 
exciting at the same time and that's why it sounds a bit weird as somebody who writes magical books but I'm quite funny about what I read that's magical I tend to read a lot more real life books um I mean I'm reading a magical book at the moment uh, but things I, th- I think stuff like Harry Potter works because you start off and you see him living in a cupboard, up, cupboard under the stairs um and having a really miserable life with his ordinary aunt and uncle and then the magic is introduced into it. I think if we were introduced straight away to Hogwarts it wouldn't have the same appeal or effect. Mm, that's interesting and what you were talking about having to have some wisdom or control in order to manage the magic. So your characters in a way have to grow don't they in yeah. order to become wise users yeah, of they magic. Do. Yeah they have to use their brains and they can't they can't just allow the magic or expect the magic to solve all their problems. They have to really work at how they're going to undo this curse mm-hmm. um, and you know they've, they've been told that these these objects are not supposed to have them until they're 16 uh, because obviously that there's a saying with great power comes great responsibility and um, you know the youngest of the Widdishins girls Charlie is only six so you know what she's interested in is her next meal and whatever animal she's going to adopt next so she's mm. not really ready for that level of mm. uh, responsibility in her life. Mm. Let's talk for a moment about the middle sister, who's called Betty. Yeah. And really, she's the main protagonist Mm -hmm. in this story. Uh, She has a sense of adventure. She wants to leave the island uh, where she's growing up, and that's when she discovers the curse that she's not actually allowed to leave. Um, And there's a sense of pulling in two directions here, the wanting to go away... And then the recognition that home actually is a good place mm. to, and, and your family is a good place to be. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about that as a main theme running through the book. Betty is, um, she's very much based on my own middle sister, who did go off and do quite a few crazy things when she was younger. Um, she just wanted to escape this kind of small town that we lived in um, and go off and meet new people and go on to bigger brighter better things um she actually went off and lived in a cave for a while in Corfu oh wow <laughs> yeah um and uh it's quite crazy yeah she she was um she's back now she's a bit more kind of homely and sensible now but her her younger daughter seems to have picked up that adventurous mm-hmm. streak as well um she traveled the world and went all around, all over the place and got lost for a while and my sister was trying to ta- track her down Liam Neeson style like in Taken uh, when she went off the grid for a week but um yeah so Betty's very much based on um my middle sister Janet and I think the thing with Betty is she's a practical one and she kind of feels like she they're all in their different roles the sisters so there's there's something with a lot of middle children that I think they feel overlooked because the first child is you know, a first child and they've got used to a lot of attention and then obviously the the younger child comes along and then takes a lot of that attention as well. So, you know, to Betty, Fliss is the pretty one that, you know, she's always falling in love and getting a lot of attention that way. Um, Betty also feels that Fliss was her dad's favourite. And Charlie is the one that they both mother um, and Charlie's sort of the sweet one, the younger one. And there's a sense of responsibility there for her. And I think Betty just feels like she's the plain one that's sort of not really anyone's not really interested in her. Um, and she kind of just wants to escape. She, she's always got this yearning for adventure. And all she's getting from Granny is excuses or 
outright lies you know we have been out we've we've, we've been to this place but you were so young you didn't remember mm. um uh, you know we're too busy at the moment we haven't got enough money I'll take you when we've got some more money you know next time and she's she's fed up of all the excuses and she mm. just wants to escape this this bleak dreary place on the marshes that's all she's ever known mm. I wanted to ask you about the three magical artifacts in your book I know when you wrote uh, the 13 books that mm. it started with a charm bracelet yeah are these objects in a pinch of magic real objects that you have no they're not and, and actually they changed throughout the story so in the first draft that I made the bag was always the bag so there was always a travelling bag um, and I'm not entirely sure where that came from um, but Fliss's mirror initially was a like a I think it was a a rabbit fur stole um, which again had been handed down and was very fusty and Charlie was very upset by that because it was a dead animal um, and she kept trying to bury it, not realising that it was quite a valuable thing, that um, initially its power was to help Fliss uh, be able to steal things, like, you know, really easily without the person being stolen from noticing. And Betty's object was initially a set of dominoes which was going to allow her to disappear uh, when she set them up and sort of made like a, a trail of dominoes but that was all getting a bit too fiddly um, so I had to think about other objects that could make somebody disappear and what was symbolic of disappearing and I just happened to think of Russian dolls and the way they disappear inside each other and hidden away and I've always really really loved Russian dolls so they seem like a perfect mm-hmm. object um, and when I got the edits back from my publisher, they they said, oh, you know, maybe this 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 first style isn't something that's you know maybe we could have something more exciting than that. Uh, and obviously, you know, Fliss is very vain and um, quite into her own reflections. I thought, oh, you know, a mirror would be good. So while it's not a terribly original object, you know, there's lots of stories of magic mirrors. I felt like it was the best um, option for Fliss because it does seem like something that she would carry around with her anyway. Mm. There's another story within the story, isn't there? Without giving too much away, um, tell us a little bit about that. So the other story is, it's kind of the opposite to the Widdishins really because when the girls are trying to find out about how they're going to undo their curse. Um, we we get to see the the Widdishins sisterhood and their relationship tested, um, but ultimately we see how strong their love and their bond is with each other. Um, and they might argue, they might bicker, but they're always there for each other. But not every sibling relationship is like that, and. We get to see in the past, there's sort of another story that's unfolding in the past through flashbacks. And we get to see um, the relationship between another pair of sisters um, where jealousy sets in and it shows you the damage that that can do um, and how it becomes something so ugly and destructive. Mm. Which is very fairy tale, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of those binary opposites in fairy tales are rivalries between siblings yeah the thing about sisters is you know you know all each other's strongest character traits you know each other inside and out 
um, and you're also capable and I can say this because I'm you know I'm the youngest of three sisters um, you know when you fight it's ugly really mm. ugly because you know each other's weak points as well tell me a little bit about having these two narratives and how you made the decision to kind of splice them together and those connection points did that come sort of chronologically through the book or did you have to go back and think about where you were going to thread this other narrative through no I tend to write um chronologically anyway I tend to Mm. write my stories are quite linear when they're when they're written even though quite often there's a link to the past so um the way I the way it appears in the book was pretty much how it was written there were a couple of scenes that um were shifted uh, you know, sort of when you're doing your edits, uh, you think, oh, actually, the reader needs this information a little mm. bit sooner, or they need this excitement a little bit sooner. So let's move that scene forward, or that chapter, or whip that chapter out. Um, and I think the section that's based in the past, where the curse all originates, that was pretty much as I first wrote it. I think there were maybe one or two extra sections that I put in um, because. When I write a story, I tend to just try and get it all down rather than go back and keep fiddling with it, otherwise I'll never get it finished. So I think I did my first draft and I think I put a note to my editor that I need to go back and add in a section where this is going to happen um, just to give make it clearer for her um, so that these characters didn't just suddenly pop up out of nowhere um, and there needed to be a little, a little bit more of an introduction to them. Mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about Betty a little mm-hmm. bit more. She's a very strong character and I don't know, you grow very close to her as a reader. I think she's written with incredible warmth um, from you and I wondered whether she grew in your imagination as you were writing her and in what way she might have developed through that process of writing yeah, I mean, she definitely developed. I have to admit, when I'm when I'm working on stories, the first draft is always very plot based for me. Mm. So I'm thinking about the logistics of how the magic's going to work, um, what the characters need to be, um, how they can work together. So quite often, their personalities um, are developed f- from what I need from the story and how I need characters to conflict and work together so um, at the start I don't think I was particularly um, I mean some characters you get an immediate affinity with them as soon as you start to write so with Tanya in The Thirteen Treasures I felt much closer to Tanya from the start and with Betty it was something that came more through the edits where I developed her personality more Um, and one thing that I failed to do in the first couple of drafts was to show Betty's internal narrative I was trying to show everything through her actions and not showing much what was going on in her head Interesting. and um, that was something that one of the editors pointed out and I was like aha that's that's what's missing and then once I put that in I did feel a, a lot closer to her but I think the real love for the characters was the sisterly bond and how it relates to me and my own sisters mm. and how their personalities are all so different. Mm. And I think the way that they bounce off each other and the, the bickering that's there and the little in-jokes that they have, that's what makes... That's the warmth of the story mm. for me mm. and that's something that I'm really enjoying working mm. on the next book as well. Mm. 
I thought that there were echoes of other stories in there. Now, sometimes you bring that as a reader mm. and it's not there necessarily for the writer. So, for instance, when they escape, there's an escape from the tower at one point mm. and I felt echoes of great expectations there. I could almost feel Magwitch coming out of the marsh. I've but actually read you it. see, you didn't even have that in there. But that's what happens, isn't it, yeah. with readers? You always make connections to other things yeah. that you've read. What connections do you see in the book between other your stories. own work and other stories? Well, I think there's there's definitely like a you know fairy tale elements because I've, I've always got a fondness for fairy tales. So you know you've got the tower and the idea of the witch locked in the tower. Um, so obviously that's a very strong fairy tale element. There was a book that I read a few years ago called Poison, uh, which is set on marshes, and um, there was sort of a lot of witches and fairies in that, and and I was reminded of of that when I was when I was writing and doing the the setting of Crowstone because it's also on marshes, and uh, but that you know that wasn't why I decided to do it. I, I decided to do it because of islands that are quite close to where I live, like um, in Walden called Ocea Island, which are all on the estuary and very marshy and you know the tides go in and out so there's kind of a lot of my surroundings that go into the stories um other story oh obviously the the magic mirror being able to see things in a mirror um again that's not a particularly original idea um but again I chose it because I thought it was well suited to Fliss and I think in a way I think it's quite a nice thing for a reader to get so, and a familiar element and I think well I've seen this before but it's a you know that's not the main crux of the story it's you know it's been used in a slightly different way or the characters are different so I think you take a little bit of every of books you know stories that you enjoy mm-hmm. you sort of take a little bit of influence from all of them really mm-hmm. um there was a book that I absolutely love um, which is for slightly older readers um, it's just been reissued actually called The Merry Bigot by Julie oh, Hearn it has yeah and it's one of my favourite favourite books I was actually asked to give a quote for the cover of the new edition which I was honoured to do um, and it's got a lovely new cover and that's all about fairies um, and witches and it's set in the uh, 1600s and there's a very toxic relationship between two sisters in that so I think there's probably parallels between that and Pinch of Magic as well. But like Julie Hearn's book, I think your magic has that sense of jeopardy mm. and darkness and not to be messed with. Yeah. Those fairies that you don't quite know whether you trust them or mm. not. So uh, people might not realise, but uh, as well as being a writer, you've been an editor yourself. So... Mm. How do you find it being on the other side of the editing process? I'd say I'm pretty good at being edited because having been on the other side, um, I know how important it is and I know that when something is mentioned, editors don't mention it for no reason. But generally, I mean, if it's if it's a little thing and nobody else mentions it, you might, you might think, oh, actually, no, I'd, I think I do want to keep that bit. But on the whole, I tend to listen to what they say. Um, and you know I don't really I think there's some people that don't like being edited at all but um, I quite like it because I feel like you know you get your first draft down and it's it's quite a lonely place to be because you don't unless you've got somebody in your family or a friend or another writer that you know 
well enough to to read it you're kind of on your own with it and you don't know if it's any good um so when you get those first comments from your editor that you're sort of you're feeling it out and whether it, you're testing it out and they, they're your first reader really so you have to take them seriously and I think the fact that when when I first got my agent and my publisher Simon and Schuster with 13 Treasures it was all around the same time that I started to work as an editor as well so I was learning about both sides simultaneously which was really really helpful for me so mm. I've seen you know I was sort of working on other people's books at the same time the same things were happening with my books so I think publishers generally find me quite easy to work with because they know mm. that I know how it works. Mm, interesting. So, yeah, it's been a really good experience. And what was the editing process like for this particular book? It was... Uh, my first drafts are very overwritten, um, usually a bit too long, uh, and there's usually a few tangents that I go off on because I don't plan every single detail, so I, I plan enough to know where I'm going, but then... I'm open to ideas along the way so I can get myself in a few pickles if an idea kind of pops up and then I, I kind of want to cram everything in um, so really a lot a lot of the editing process for me is to hone it all back trim back all those little branches that have shot off from you know the, the tree trunk which is the main story um, and get it all back in shape um, there's the prisoner called Colton who mm. claims to know how to break the curse and in the first draft, there was actually a chapter that was told straight after the girls meet him in prison. Um, I kind of, from that point, I went with Colton um, and did a chapter from his perspective. And in the original version, Colton was kind of a bit psychically linked to the witch in the tower. So he'd been kind of seeing her... Um, in his dreams and hearing her voice and kind of scratching things on his prison cell wall that she that he'd heard her saying so there was sort of this like a bit of a psychic link between them because they've both been unfairly treated um and my editors didn't want me to do it that way they felt that it was kind of a little bit confusing and like we should have it a little bit more ambiguous as to what his real intentions were um, because you kind of don't really find out what he's all about until mm-hmm. a bit further on in the story so we kind of wanted to leave the reader unsure as to whether the girls could really trust him mm. or not and what was going on in his head mm. so I think that was definitely the right decision um, and I can say from a, from a reader's point of view that you do you are kept guessing yeah, with that <laughs> yeah and I think that's something that works really well sort of, you know there's there's nothing better than a a character then you're never really sure mm. whether to trust them or not so I think that was definitely a good um, decision uh, there was also a chapter later on in the book where Fliss and Charlie are separated from Be- from Betty uh, and they're in a lot of danger and again I went off with them to show what happened I mean technically that could probably be used as a deleted scene because the story was the same you just you heard about it from them rather than saw it through their eyes so we stayed with Betty instead and had her wondering and had her fear about what was happening to her sisters rather than finding it all out so I think it was mainly about keeping the um the narrative with our main character rather than Mm. allowing other characters to kind of um, have it from their viewpoint and I think again that's that's a stronger thing to do it also seems to me um, reading your books because I enjoyed um, your naming of your characters <laughs> so much um, is it winter 
winter bright, bright, bright yeah. yeah um fingertip i mean i just love your your naming is that something that you enjoy doing finding yeah. the name for the character yeah that's one of my favorite parts naming characters and places um and actually a little bit of trivia betty all the sisters names changed um from the first draft so initially fliss was called uh Fenella, and it was going to be ella for short and uh, Charlie's always been Charlotte but initially she was a Lotta and I thought that's too pretty for Charlie she needs to be more tomboyish so she mm. changed to Charlie and Betty was initially Bonnie Bonnie Widdershins mm. um, but I decided to rename her after Betty who was uh, my mum and mm. she was very much like Betty Widdershins or very um, brave and impetuous mm. and the book's dedicated to her as well but yeah I love naming places and uh, I'm always on the lookout for new place names mm. uh, so um, people that live in Essex probably see quite a few that crop up in my books and I think oh that's where she got that from so mm. there, there's constantly stuff in my books tell us about Crowstone well Crowstone um, is the name of a local road uh, about 10 minutes from where I live um, and it's where I park when I go to my local library um, and uh, I almost bought a house in Crowstone Road and funnily enough my mum and my sisters lived there years ago as well mm-hmm. um, so it's sort of quite big in our family mm-hmm. and I just love the name of it Crowstone it just sounds very mysterious and yeah. uh, a little bit dark and yeah. yeah just it kind of brings to mind crows on on rocks like craggy rocks and that was the idea yeah. you know behind the island and Hangman's Wood is just up the road from Crowstone. Hangman's Wood was used in the 13 Treasures books. So, Michelle, what do we have for, to look forward to next? Well, I'm currently working on a sequel to Pinch of Magic, and I think Melissa Castrillon is doing the cover um, the same, so it, it should be just as lovely. Um, it's beautiful, isn't it? It is really lovely. There's so mm. many people that have commented on it, and I think it was a real impulse buy as well when it was book of the month in Waterstones because it was on the counters mm. and I was hearing a lot of tweets where oh, I just popped into Waterstones to collect a book and I saw this on the counter and it was so lovely I had to pick mm. it up so um, a book jacket really does matter doesn't it it does it does and this one's had such a brilliant reception um, I think it's probably had the best reception out of all my books mm. uh, so yeah I'm really I'm just thrilled with how it's it's doing and, and also a, a younger series too I understand yeah, so I've got a new book, a uh, new series coming out with Stripes Books uh, in 2020, which is for readers of six plus, which is called Midnight Magic, and it's all about a little black cat called Midnight, who um, because she's born at midnight and because she's a black cat, which uh, we associate with witches, she's able to do magic, not like her brothers and sisters, and her mum is a little bit kind of put out by that, so they sort of do. A, a bit of a moonlight flit and leave her to her own devices and so she's kind of left all alone and she's only got this dusty old broom that's in this barn where they've been born so you know with a few magical winks and tail shakes this broom comes to life and becomes her friend Twiggy Um, and then they end up finding this little girl Trixie um, and yeah it's the start of all their adventures together so um, there's, there's three books or there's going to be three books at the moment two of them are written um, the other one I still need to do but hopefully you know depending on how they're received there'll be more of those as well so I'm quite excited about that because it's the first time I've written for that age group yeah. but while the word count is much shorter so uh, those books are 
typically the length of one of the chapters in my novels um I made it really difficult for myself because they're all in rhyme so <laughs> 2,500 words wow. is, is quite a lot when you you've got to make them rhyme as uh, I discovered but absolutely really enjoyed doing those though brilliant well we look forward to reading those two nice that you uh, are diversifying and writing yeah. for a wider age yeah group. it's like having a little holiday you know you finish one book and then you're like oh got this now and it's completely different although again still magic mm-hmm. so um, I can't seem to get away from magic oh, Michelle thank you so much for talking to us oh, in the reading corner today